Coming up on Studos America, a lot was said last week about Atlanta police captain Jay Baker and his comments regarding the spa shooter. And by said, of course, I mean lied about. Luckily, recent Robbie Suave is here with the real truth behind the media's ambush. And protests are steadily popping up around the country regarding violence against Asian Americans. I'll talk to someone who knows a little bit about protests uh, and also violence against Asian Americans, author and journalist Andy No, who will help us figure out if the outrage is justified. Thank you for tuning in tonight. Before we go too far, why not take a moment to click over to my Instagram page, at StuDoesAmerica. Follow me there, then hit the link in the bio to find out how to watch and share the show for free. It's a big help in getting the word out and nominates you for entry into the exclusive Cool Kids Club. It's true. Or do the American thing and buy your way there. With a Blaze TV subscription, just head to blazetv.com slash stew. Enter the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show and you'll save 10 bucks. Another horrible mass shooting has occurred at a supermarket in Boulder, Colorado. And the left is wasting no time in pinning the blame on those awful, awful white men with guns. There's just one problem to the narrative. It's slight. I don't know if you'll be able to pick it up. It's just a tiny little problem. Let's do the Colorado shooting. Stu does America. Well, yet another terrible day in Colorado. It's too many of these, man. Uh, all over the country, of course. Uh, all of them are too many. Uh, just one is too many. But Colorado seems to have had uh, more than their share, despite having some of the most restrictive gun laws in America, we should point out. It doesn't seem to be all that connected. Uh, to the gun laws, but that's, of course, not what the left is going to tell you for the next few weeks. Uh, So we'll get into that maybe a little bit tomorrow. I want to start, though, with just the basics here. Uh, We didn't talk that much about it when this thing happened, you know, on the radio program today uh, and into this show when we didn't know anything about it. I feel like there's this weird thing people do where they feel like they need to jump to the end of the story and be right before they know anything about it. I'd rather sit back, get the information, and try to figure it out after that. That's why we, when we talked about the Asian-American shootings uh, the other day, we don't know the cause behind it. I mean, I'm not going to just believe the murderer, right? I'm also not going to just believe random people on Twitter. What I'm going to do is sit back and look at the motivation and inspiration as we go. All I can tell you is what's going on with the stats behind the narrative. Once we get a little further, we can explain a little bit more. This one has really flown out of control really quickly. Uh, uh, almost in, uh, some sort of record, I think, has been set. A record that I don't know will ever be broken. Uh, as soon as this went down, people instantly just blamed evil white people. Because here's the thing. Racism, which I used to believe, and this is my problem, I used to believe it was putting negative stereotypes upon a, a race of people or a color of skin. I used to think that's what it was. Now it's just, you know, uh, totally fine to do that, except as long as you, you, know, you just got to do it toward white people. If you do it towards white people, people, that's totally fine. Not racism whatsoever. In fact, it's actually anti-racism, which is even better than racism. It's like a new and improved version of a snack cake. It's better than ever. Now, new and improved with 20% more cream filling inside. So let me give you some of the tweets that came out. These are just a few. Uh, Caleb Paul put together a long list of these, and they're just embarrassing. Let me give you a few of them. D.L. Hughley, a comedian. A white armed mass murderer has a better chance surviving an encounter with the police than a black dude holding a phone. Hashtag Team D.L. Because that's his, his hashtag. That I guess is associated with him because his name's D.L. Hughley. See how clever that was at his point accusing the white race of murder? 
Cool. Uh, Rosetta Arquette, call it what it is. White supremacist domestic terrorism. Hmm. Well, if it was that, we should call it that. Chris Titus says the suspect is being treated. If it's, you know, meaning like if the media is saying the suspect is being treated, that means it's a white guy. The suspect deceased at the scene, black or brown guy. Tired of this S. Thank you so much, Chris Titus. I remember that brief moment where that show you did was sort of relevant. We'll say more than we've had so far. Just throwing it out there. Uh, Julie DeCaro, uh, Boulder, uh, uh, tweets about this, says, extremely tired of people's lives, depending on whether a white man with an AR-15 is having a good day or not. Andy No found this one. This one's uh, lots of fun. Uh, it says, let's see, debunking misinformation and fake news. You can see on there on the uh, screen, the person who's debunking it uh, may be providing some fake news of their own. Uh, then you have George Hahn. When a white guy with an AR-15 shoots and kills a bunch of people, it is, is, is the motive really relevant? Spoiler alert on the motive, he was having feelings, anger, inadequacy, invisibility, impotence, i.e. not special. Odd, like, you could just throw these things at white people, these derogatory terms, and just apply them to mass portions of the race, and that's not racist at all. I really am having problems with this whole conversion therapy when it comes to different words meaning different things. Dylan Park tweets, a white man walked into a a grocery store in Boulder, killed 10 people, and was apprehended by the police and walked out of the building completely unharmed. Right down the road, police killed Elijah McLean while he apologized for not doing anything wrong. Two different Americas. We'll have to go into the Elijah McLean thing another time. Although this guy was shot, so I don't know the... His, his, his right leg looked like it was in a Spider-Man costume. It was just, it was just covered in blood. He did not walk out completely unharmed. There's other problems with this tweet as well. Camilla Blackett says, It was so relaxing to just be worried about being killed by an invisible virus instead of literally any slightly inconvenienced white man with a gun. Michael Harriet uh, from The Root, uh, he writes, uh, pointing out how white suspects get the benefit of the doubt without being stopped, frisked, beaten, shot, or killed is not a call for harsh treatment. It simply means we know cops are capable of treating people humanely, just not us. Y'all could use a few more ass whoopings, though. <laughs> Good. That's fun. So all this went on. We were told uh, this guy, you know, it was clear. I mean, it was violence in a grocery store. It had to be a white guy. That's the way this things work. Then they released the picture of the guy, and I'll say, you look at the picture, you could say, uh, maybe that's a white guy, right? Got a little beer belly going on, got some, uh, got some chest hair, he's in his underwear, his right leg looks like it's in a super, uh, superhero costume because it's just covered in blood. It's not a pretty picture. Uh, and uh, so, you know, some sit-ups could be an option at some point, but I mean, look, it's a white guy, clearly a white guy. We're not going to show his face because we don't show the faces of killers. And I'm not going to give you his full name, but I will give you his first name just so you can kind of see where this is going. His first name is Ahmad. Now, lots of white supremacists are named Ahmad, obviously. Huge population of the KKK named Ahmad. It's really super common. The rest of his name also uh, maybe not so common. Um, look, the whole thing comes down to this. Not a white guy. Uh, at least, uh, I mean, unless it could be, maybe he's a convert. We don't know. We do know that he is uh, a Muslim and a devout Muslim. Uh, he uh, writes on his Facebook page, the Muslims at Christchurch Mosque were not the victims of a single shooter. They were the victims of the entire Islamophobia industry that vilified them. 
That's profound words for a guy who would go shoot a bunch of people at a grocery store later on. Now, some of these are not confirmed. They're being tweeted by a bunch of blue checks and journalists and such. So I do believe they're accurate uh, from the Facebook page. But just to give you that little bit of a disclaimer, um, this is what we're working on right now. As you know, these things sort of develop. I, uh, I, I, it's interesting in, in that the media is reporting him, so we're going to go with it. Though, again, should they be reporting this stuff? I don't know. We're not going to give you his, his name. Uh, just curious what the laws are about phone privacy, because I believe my old school uh, uh, was hacking my phone. Then he later writes, uh, if these racist, Islamophobic people could stop hacking my phone and leave me a norm- normal life, I probably could get, a, uh, get along and have a normal life. Um, he also tweeted reportedly about Trump. Uh, Trump is a, a, a D word. Not a nice term for Donald Trump. Didn't seem to be a huge fan. Though, we do have a little room for narrative here. Just prepare yourself. He says he's against gay marriage. So if he's against gay marriage, we now know where this coverage will go, which will be he was a anti-gay, homophobic, um, uh, religious extremist. How can we do that one? Can we do that one and get away with it? Will people buy that? The bottom line here, though, is that the narrative that the media and celebrities wanted you so badly to believe was not really the narrative. It wasn't true. These things didn't occur in this way. And at some point you wonder, is there anybody, do you ever have a moment of of contrition? Do you ever think to yourself, maybe I shouldn't have gone out and just guessed randomly as as to who the person was? I mean, wouldn't it be really dumb uh, if we just every time there was a shooting, we all kind of just came out and said, oh, well, we think it was Muslims. Uh, now, look, a lot of terrorist attacks have been related to Muslims, just like a lot of mass shooters have been white. Not all of them. Uh, not not uh, not some crazy percentage. But still, there's been a bunch. There's a lot of white people here. A lot of white uh, mass shootings have been done by white people. Uh, you know, do we go out and do we go crazy and, and just guesstimate as to what race we think it will be? Why is everyone trying to paint a little narrative for themselves instead of just taking a tragic event and understanding what happened with it and trying to make things better? But instead, we kind of use this 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 little excuse to be able to blame the other side, to be able to use this in sort of a big collectivist way, to be able to say, you know what? It's not enough that that one bad person did something. We need to blame the whole group of people. That is racism. It's collectivism. It's racism. It's both of those things. They run hand in hand almost all the time. And this goes all the way to, I mean, can you imagine if this happened under the Trump administration? Imagine if Eric Trump started tweeting stuff like this or Donald J. Trump started tweeting stuff like this that was proven this wrong. Uh, I think the media would be all over it. They'd be talking about it constantly. Well, Mina Harris, uh, who is uh, the daughter of Kamala Harris, wrote, the Atlanta shooting was not even a week ago. Violent white men are the greatest terrorist threat to our country. This is a family member of the vice president of the United States. And not only, I mean, it would be wrong to assign blame, even if it was like the Atlanta shooting appeared to be a white dude, right? That, does that mean you blame all white people? Does that mean you blame all churchgoers? Do you, do you blame all men? Why go down that road? Maybe we should blame the people responsible for the crimes. Isn't this the United States of America? I don't, I, I don't understand this. And this is someone who's, you know, who's got a, an ear in the White House. Steve Krakauer pointed out the vice president's niece, I should say niece, I said daughter, but niece, is spreading misinformation and inflaming tensions after a tragic shooting. I guess this doesn't matter, but if it were happening during the last administration, it would be national news. Yes, it would. In fact, uh, Mina Harris decided to delete uh, her original tweet and make things 
even worse somehow. <laughs> she tweets, uh, I deleted a previous tweet about the suspect in the Boulder shooting. I made an assumption based on his being taken into custody alive and the fact that the majority of mass shootings in the U.S. are carried out by white men. <laughs> this is way worse. I mean, the, the first di- I mean, maybe you could at least say I saw the picture. He looked like a white dude by bad. That's an okay apology. I, I just randomly generalized an entire race of people because I have these, pre, these misconceptions about how these things go. You know, my idea that only white people get taken into custody is, is massively crazy to me to hear pitched by the left when with the same breath, they will tell us we have too many prisons and too many minorities in prisons. How did they get there? They all walk in on their own? I have to imagine some of them were apprehended by police. Why else would they go to prison if they were not? It is a it's difficult to understand, but that, that tweet's actually worse than the first one. And, and this is the problem here. You go down this idea of, of trying to paint a narrative, trying to win the narrative battle, and you fail this spectacularly, as we've outlined here with all these celebrities and, and media figures. And instead of just saying like, OK, look, that was idiotic. I need to I need to step back and check my priors. I need to understand why I'm doing that, because I should not be jumping to such conclusions. Instead of that, you see the backing off of Mina Harris, where she says, well, actually, I'm sorry, I just assumed it. But I assumed it because all white people are bad. Here's the other spin. This one's from Ilan Omar. She says the shooter's race or ethnicity seems front and center when they aren't white. Otherwise, it's just a mentally ill young man having a bad day. Narratives drive our responses to awful crimes committed against innocent people. Pay attention to these responses and who was targeted. So the fact that everyone was celebrating and dunking on white people in general yesterday when they thought it was a white person. Elon Omar acts like that didn't occur and now acts like people are obsessed with the race of the person or the religion of the person in this particular case, a, a, a Muslim person. See, they're all just going after Muslims. The only reason the Muslim thing is being brought up is because you guys all blamed white people yesterday. I don't care. I have no reason to defend white people generally. I don't care about that nonsense. I don't care about it. I care about individuals. I will tell you this as a white person. And this is this is back room white person stuff. We all get together. We talk about white people. And you know what? Here's the secret. Just as high a percentage of white people suck as every other race. It's like the same. They all there's a bunch of people who suck. Most of most people suck. I would assume because you're watching this show, you're probably pretty cool, but you might suck, too. I don't know if you're white. I don't know what color you are. The bottom line is people suck at about the same percentage across racial groups. It doesn't matter at all. The second we step back and recognize people as individuals with individual rights and responsibilities, when we can finally get back to that moment, whenever that was, or strive for it in the future, that'll be wonderful. But we've decided to instead strive to a place where we're blaming groups again. This didn't work out last time, and it won't work out this time either. You need to live in a home. You, you, need, to, you need to have some place to live. You want to buy a home? You want to sell a home? Well, you need a real estate agent who can trust. You can have someone who's on the line to be trusted. You need to have a real estate agent you can trust. Uh, this is, goes bigger than just, you know, 
having someone uh, who is just a good, you know, good with the paperwork, right? You need someone who can step in, help you, a full service person who can help you find the best repairman, who can help you uh, maybe uh, set the house up the right way to make it most appealing to a new buyer. If you're going in, you need someone who's going to negotiate hard and understand where the lines are, how far you can get that price to drop. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go to find that person. Get more information at realestateagentsitrust.com. This company has started with Glenn. It's grown into this giant thing because people really need this service. They need to find a good real estate agent for their biggest transaction. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. Let's welcome back to the program the editor-at-large for The Post Millennial, as well as the author of Unmasked, Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy. Of course, I'm talking about the one, the only, Andy No. Andy, thanks for coming back on the program. My pleasure. Thank you. Andy, before we get started, uh, you had a, a situation with your book, which has been, you know, really well received. I think people who have read it with an open mind have really taken uh, quite a bit out of it. Uh, we saw a, a situation with the guy from Mumford and Sons who comes out and reads your book, thinks it's great, tweets about it. And then he gets a firestorm and <laughs> it has to like leave the band. I mean, w- what was it like watching this happen? Yeah, you might remember that a few weeks before the book was released in early February, there was efforts to get the book banned. And it was semi-effective, at least in Portland, with uh, one of the big bookstores there. Um, But the book went on to become a New York Times bestseller. And that angered a lot of my detractors. So what did they do next? They want to punish people who dare to read my book um, to express a positive opinion about it. And I feel terribly for this musician who who was made an example for daring to think differently than those in his music industry. Mm, You know, it used to be something that was praised, I think, in this country, when you would read something maybe that would challenge a a viewpoint that you had before, uh, unfortunately is gone. And that's uh, that's really sad because your book is really important. Um, I want to um, talk about what's been happening here over the past uh, couple of weeks. Uh, we, uh, you yourself are an Asian American who was, uh, who has been a victim of violence. Uh, so you're, you've, you've seen this firsthand, unfortunately. Um, what is your impression of the way the media is, is covering, uh, this apparent, as they call it, wave of violence against Asian Americans? And is there, is this supported by the facts yet? So for most of my journalism, it doesn't really interact, uh, intersect with my identity as an Asian American. But recently I found that it's been important for me to speak out just because I think um, a lot of the mainstream narratives that are propagated in the legacy press have been uh, trying to portray the United States as a very uh, endemically racist and unwelcoming country. Um, By and large, that has not been the experience of myself and my family. Um, And when I dig deeper into the data, though, of hate crimes where, or violent crime, interracial crimes where Asian Americans are the victims, uh, it doesn't fit with the story we're being told from the press, which is that everything's to be blamed on white supremacy. Uh, When you look at the data, you're seeing that um, the DOJ data uh, in 2018, and this has been constant for a while, Asian Americans are victimized at around 27% by black Americans. Now, that's massively disproportionate uh, given that the black population in America is about 13%. 
And, uh, you know, that that doesn't fit with what we're told, just like how the data on police shootings doesn't fit with what BLM tells us. Uh, I do find it very cynical and very sick that people are exploiting uh, incidents of violence against Asian Americans or racism for their critical race theory agenda. Uh, they tried that a lot recently with the, the mass shooting that happened in Atlanta against those um, spas or um, so-called spas, I should say. And we find out uh, from local investigative authorities as well as federal um, investigators that there is absolutely no evidence that the shooting was motivated by racial animus. I feel like, Andy, there is a is a difficult sort of relationship between uh, critical race theory as it uh, becomes uh, the, the favorite of, of the media and academia and Asian-Americans generally. Um, there is a, you're, you know, Asian-Americans are supposed to be a minority group. Therefore, they're supposed to be oppressed by uh, all white people. Uh, yet, when you look statistically, uh, Asian-Americans out-earn. Uh, they, uh, uh, white Americans, they, do, they perform better on tests. All, all this data that points to the fact that, you know, there's, this is not an oppressed group. Um, and now we kind of see this, this there was a, uh, the New York Times uh, put it this way, they said that Asian women have been long, long been stereotyped for being superior, which lo- makes them lose their individuality. They seem to be fi- trying to attempt to find a way to create a problem that at least, you know, as, as you've talked about here, doesn't seem to really exist in, 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 in at least at the scale that they're trying to make it. Yeah, to the critical race theorists, um, the metrics that measure uh, integration success, um, Asian Americans have been a a thorn on their side because, as as you mentioned, when you look at uh, income, education, health uh, health outcomes, Asian Americans do extremely well and in some metrics actually uh, uh, the best, for example, under um, average incomes. And so... Uh, I have, I'm just trying to urge fellow Asian Americans to really resist the siren call of uh, the critical race theories and um, various victimhood ideologies is very tempting. It's very comforting to always try to externalize blame somewhere else. But if we look at the data, it doesn't support that narrative, doesn't support it when you look at the how, by and large, on, on average, Asian Americans have done so well in the United States. Um, you can also then look at when we are being victimized in violent crimes, where is it coming from? Well, it's not, it's sobering and uncomfortable to talk about. I mean, you see in a lot of these videos that are coming out, a lot of the perpetrators happen to be black Americans. So th- blaming this on white supremacy is not, properly diagnosing the current uh, upticks that we're dealing with as well. And so um, uh, I'm just calling for the last to to give up on the cynical abuse of uh, our misery. Um, yeah, it's just true. It, it seems to be exploitive in some ways, um, which I don't I don't find to be beneficial, at least for the society in general. You know, Andy, I think people when they think of you and your work, they think of you as someone who's, you know, flagged Antifa and has really led the charge on trying to expose this very dangerous group uh, that is out there. But in a way, like I, I almost look at your work more as like you're trying to expose a real 
core foundational issue that is happening right now, not just as it relates to Antifa, but it's, it's about how we look at the news. It's about how we understand the events around us. They've, be, they've become manipulated in a way. And there, there are very few people like yourself who are willing to go out there and, and look at the problem straight on and just say what it is, not try to draw it into some other separate narrative or some sort of prior belief. Just tell people what's actually happening and what's going on behind it. Is it frustrating that you seem to be so alone in doing this? It can be hard. It feels isolating, um, particularly when various journalists' rights organizations won't stick up for me or other journalists don't view me as a fellow colleague. Um, but that's okay. I mean, from the beginning, I've been never accepted as one of their own. And I have a lot to be thankful for. I think uh, I'm thankful for being a U.S. citizen. I have a lot of rights and freedoms that a lot of people around the world don't have. And uh, I'm blessed and privileged that I have opportunities like this one to, to speak, to give interviews, to write, and that I have an audience. So there's much, much more to be thankful for than um, to be upset over. Mm, that's a great way of looking at it. I, um, I know before we go, we have talked to you before about the book and we've gone through it more in, in depth. Can you give people like a, an elevator pitch here who don't know the book and maybe don't know your work? Uh, why, why should they go out and read the book? Well, because we're dealing with the domestic terrorist threat that nobody uh, or few seem to be understanding. We're being told by the so-called truth tellers in the mainstream media that Antifa are merely anti-fascists protecting oppressed minorities, people of colors, et cetera. Whereas the reality on the ground is that we have a violent extremist far left movement who is explicitly calling for attacks on the state and against other citizens in, over, in order to overthrow the US government. <laughs> that's that's a big problem. And uh, very few people are looking at it, especially like Andy Noe has right up uh, in person uh, to his own uh, to his own danger. Many times he's the editor at large for the postmillennial. The book is called Unmasked Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy. Andy Noe, thank you so much for taking the time. All right. Back in a second. Some new guidance from the CDC. Now, obviously, you're at home right now, and if you haven't been vaccinated, you've enclosed yourself in a plastic bubble, okay? Now, when they come to vaccinate you, you need to put your arm near the edge of the plastic bubble, and they will stick the needle through the plastic, and it will puncture a little tiny needle hole. Now, of course, they'll immediately tape that up. The new CDC uh, guidelines say that you can take the tape off for 15 minutes a day once you have the vaccine and it's fully kicked in. So that means you can have that much exposure to the outside world. If you're vaccinated, you bastards. Seriously, I could rail about this every day. It, every day in the morning meeting, I come, to, get, come to, to, to the table with the same freaking rant, which is if you want people to get the freaking vaccine, you need to incentivize them to get the vaccine, right? You need to say, hey, you're going to be able to do what you want. Get the vaccine, do what you want. Get the vaccine, never hear from us again as the government. That's the messaging that should be out there. And right now they're saying you can go visit a family, but only one family at a time. And you can't let your kids go to church. I, I, it's, it's unbelievable. There is a global uh, shortage in computer chips now reaching, reaching a crisis point. They're saying even Apple has to wait for computer chips. It's a weird world. We're not used to this world. 
but production's been so slow and there's all sorts of reasons for it. But I am the only man who will talk about the real story behind this. I've been saying this for a while. No one listens to me. But Max Zorin, the guy from uh, A View to a Kill, the villain in A View to a Kill, this was his plan. He was going to create a giant earthquake to wipe out microchip production and then take all the production for himself. He's clearly real, and this is just the beginning of his plan. So, if I were you and you owned uh, real estate in San Francisco, realestateagentsitrust.com, first step, get a good real estate agent, and then get the hell out of there. Think back to the summer for a second. Think back to how you felt uh, when society seemed to be just collapsing. Riots all over the place. Buildings burning to the ground. Real chaos everywhere. Uh, People were getting hurt. They were getting beat in the streets. They were getting injured. Uh, People were getting shot. You can't depend uh, on the police in some of these situations. You saw what the reaction time was like. I mean, I remember seeing an entire target get cleared out and there wasn't a cop to be seen. Every time I go over a speed bump too fast to get pulled over, yet these guys are clearing out a freaking target and no one does anything. My point is, you are the first responder. You cannot depend on the ambulance to be there fast enough to save a loved one's life in a time of need. The average EMS time uh, to respond is 37 minutes. In an emergency, time is critical. You cut the wrong artery, uh, it could be three or four minutes. That's all you have. You need to have a bare first aid kit from Refuge Medical. You can't just get some crappy first aid kit. It's got two Band-Aids in there, and you haven't looked at it in six months. That's not going to work. You need to have a real high-end RefugeMedical.com kit. Go there, get 15% off all their first aid kits. You don't know what you need to be prepared for, but certainly this year has taught us to be prepared. Get the stuff that you need. Promo code is Stu. Make sure to use the promo code Stu because that's how they know you like this stupid show. Uh, And if you you go to Refuge Medical now, you can get that 15% off. This is something you need in your home. Don't miss the opportunity to take care of an emergency before it happens. RefugeMedical.com. Promo code is Stu. Happy to welcome back to the program, Robbie Suave. He's the senior editor at Reason, and he's the author of Panic Attack, Young Radicals in the Age of Trump. Robbie, thanks so much for being on the program. Thanks for having me. Uh, you wrote a piece, uh, which <laughs> you seem to catch these things all the time, um, but this one was really everywhere by every major media source, where they reported this spokesperson uh, talking about the Atlanta shootings. Uh, as, as a guy who came out and said, look, this killer just had a bad day and this is what he did. And it came off as I mean, I saw the reports. It came off as really flippant and disrespectful. And it seemed like this guy just didn't really care. He's given an excuse to this white guy who's just went out and killed all, all these people. Uh, you decided to actually look at the full clip and found a different story. Yeah, surprise, surprise, this seems to happen from time to time. The misleading clip of the video that was circulated by a reporter at Vox, Aaron Ruper, uh, made it seem like, yeah, that the police captain had been uh, making excuses for the killer, uh, almost. And it, and it was uh, very unempathetic in, in that clip. But then if you watch the whole thing, well, it turns out he is very clear that that is just what the suspect told investigators. So he was just relaying precisely what the suspect had said during interrogation. The suspect had been cooperative, had said, this is why I was doing it. 
I had a bad day, etc. The police captain was clearly not endorsing this. You know, he was not saying now we have everything solved because, of course, you're not going to take the killer's word necessarily. But it was not it, it was not there was nothing wrong with what the police captain did. In fact, that is what police spokespeople should do. They should relay in a in a just factual without a lot of spin. They should relay what they've learned. That's what he did. And it was incredible just to see it totally misrepresented. Yeah. From everyone. For, I mean, the, the CNN, the Washington Post. I mean, this wasn't just like, you know, Vox and Aaron Rupar are like, I, OK, he's you know maybe going to take things out of context. You're supposed to be able to have journalists, though, that do this. The, the thing that you did. Right. The Washington Post should be doing the thing that you did, not just trusting some random guys on, from Vox's Twitter account to give appropriate context. Text. This is a major failure here. And, you know, look, I don't know if this guy's a good guy or not, frankly. I don't know. He might be a terrible guy. He might be a great guy. But you basically ruined this guy's life for some period of time by accusing him of not caring about all of these murders, when in reality, this was just a mistake by the media or maybe a willful mistake by the media, but completely, completely uh, false. Yeah. After I watched uh, the full video, so then I, I you know, tweeted an explanation that I thought Aaron Ruper had mischaracterized it. And then I was going to leave it at that. But then I started looking and I saw that, yeah, Washington Post, BuzzFeed News, New York Magazine, countless other media outlets had done the same thing based on that tweet. They had they had not clarified that this was a paraphrase of what the suspect himself had said. And I found that remarkable. So then I, I thought I had to write a full article. Um, it's just it's just crazy that they can't get that right. Not just one guy, but then the additional reporting by, you know, by the really hard nosed professional journalists. And yeah, and then people go looking for the police captain. Well, was he in an offensive T-shirt some other time? I, you know, I hate when they do that. They did no. that to the Covington kids. Our thing, our thing was we were wrong. So let's go looking for some other reason to dislike this guy. <laughs> like, what? Why? What's the point? Does this make you feel better? Why? Yeah, it's like that. It's this like I'm going to go check their Facebook page for something offensive brand of journalism which is not journalism, right? Like, like the fact that this guy, you know, put a post up about it, you know, just a, a Corona beer parody, you know, in March of 2020 is just not notable to the story whatsoever. We're talking about a murder here, uh, many murders. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated. By, like, can you explain to me Aaron Ruper for a second? I, I don't I don't know. I feel like I see him posting uh, these things and it feels like often He's taking videos out of context. I don't know anything about the guy other than he works at Vox, but this seems like a repeated thing with him. Yeah, I, I actually had to be reminded that he does work at Vox. Uh, I kind of assumed he worked for Media Matters because they also kind of have a habit of doing yes. that. And uh, so then when I clicked on his bio, I'm like, oh, he and, and you know, I, I like some of the people who work at Vox. I'm friendly mm -hmm. with some of them. Um, I think they do some good journalism. I have also a lot of disagreements with some of the journalism that they do. Um, but yeah, he is, he, I don't know, I don't know what he's doing. He tweets constantly these video, uh, the links to videos that are often out of context. Uh, but this was the most egregious one that I've caught. And I don't know, I, something like, it's like a snitch culture thing. I don't know what compels mm. people to do this. Why do you need to, 
like cut the video in a way that's going to make someone look bad. Like that's not really a journalist's job. It's he's tweeting like a professional activist. Yeah, it's yeah. a very thin thin line between the two now. Snitch culture is a great way of putting it, and it does it does turn you into a social media monster. I mean, I don't follow the guy, but I do see his posts often. I mean, he seems to make a real impact on social media. But that's not a compliment. Right? Like the way it's happening, I feel like it's not a compliment. Um, it's been bigger than just this. One guy, though, this uh, this once police spokesperson, it really is the entire narrative of this story. Uh, I know Andrew Sullivan wrote about this recently, um, where it's a it's a it's a situation where the media seems to be jumping into this idea that it's anti-Asian violence. There's this wave of violence uh, against Asians, and that has to be the cause of this. And there's no there's no in, there's no investigation internally to say, wait a minute, are we waiting? Do we know this? Are we just like fitting this into our general belief structure without much evidence that is happening all over the place with this story? It's driving me crazy. Yeah, there has been a desire almost in the media to to see that there's been a. A, an increase in anti-Asian violence. And you know what? Maybe there has been. There's been an increase in violence just more generally in the last two years. Murder is up. Violent mm-hmm. crime is up. It's a huge problem because violent crime has been going down for a long time. So this is, this is a big thing to be wary of. So now it could be that crimes against Asian Americans are up because all crime is up. It could be up, you know, this is a special category. I'm not discounting it at all, but I haven't really seeing good solid evidence for it and when we point to yeah i saw some survey well you know hate crimes are up against them but the hate crime reporting is so bad anyway like county yeah local municipalities don't have to report it so there's this whole phenomenon where the more um tuned in you are to a problem you start recording it better and then it looks like it's getting worse but it's just that you were undercounting it previously so we're we're paying a lot of attention to anti-asian racist incidents, those kinds of things right now, in a way that I'm sure we're cataloging them better, and that might make it look like it's worse. I haven't seen a lot of good evidence that it's actually worse. And and then this, you know, this horrific killing. And then it's like, why does it matter? It, it's it's murder. Murder is murder, right? He's going to jail for the rest of his life. He might get the death penalty. Um, the, the the motives. I, I get it's important to, to ask to try to understand, but we don't actually need to, right? Murder is murder, regardless of the reason. Yeah, and I think I, I think this this desire to try to find a way to make it into a hate crime or, or have some larger narrative comes back to, I think, a, a real problem we have all over our society, which is this favoring of collectivism over individualism, where we want to see people as just members of these groups, these cogs in this evil wheel who are around there, you know, white people or, or, or incels or whatever the group is that's going around and doing these terrible things. And instead of seeing a person and holding a person responsible for a crime like our legal system is supposed to. We're constantly trying to show to, to, to shove these things into these larger narratives where it's, you know, uh, this group is against this group and we have to monitor this battle between these two groups. It really is something I feel like we've lost and we've lost it more on the right as well. It's not just the left on this. The individualism, Absolutely. seeing people as individuals is a founding principle of this country. And I feel like we're, it's slipping through our fingers right now. Yeah, because this is an important problem. Like violence is one of the most important things for the government to confront and reduce in our society. That is a legitimate purpose of the government. I don't say that about many things government does. I'm a libertarian. (laughs) But this is the important thing the government has to do. And when you fixate on crime in an ideological way, it's, it's pointless because 
ideological reasons is like the last is like the smallest category of reasons that people kill each other in this country. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's and I'm not just there's we kill people in this country like crazy. It's terrible uh, how much violence there is. But it's crime. It's vandalism. It's it's, you know, office shooting people. People commit crimes and then we try to spin it in some, well, what's the political framing? Are they a left-wing person? Are they a right-wing person? What's their ideology? What's their manifesto? That is the, that is the, the, the weakest category of crime and we're just so obsessed with it. And it is very, it's very damaging to the, the tough conversations we need to have about policies we have to implement to actually bring down the broader category of crime occurring in places like Baltimore and Chicago, where there are thousands of murders but it's not it's not interesting. It doesn't capture the media's fascination the same way some of these these other these other things do. Yeah, it really does. It's I mean, people like they try to say that you're oversimplifying it when you bring that up. But really, I mean, we look at this. You look at AR-15s, for example, they kill far less people than handguns yeah. in, in, in these in inner cities. And people just don't seem to care. Like those those murders don't matter as much. And I, 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 I hate to go down these roads, but it's like I don't. Why don't they see it this way? I, I mean, I come back to this over and over again. It's like, is there, to ask you to play on, online psychiatrist here for just a moment, <laughs> is there a need to, 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 to explain this with groups where it feels, uh, it's almost like soothing to think, okay, well, well, there's these bad group of people, and if we, we have to stop that bad group of people, rather than seeing the chaos, which is humanity, where sometimes people in groups, they're really bad. Sometimes they're really good. And that is almost unsettling, I think, to the American people sometimes. Yeah, it's unsettling, I guess, to, to the people who cover the news. Too many of them increasingly, right, have elite liberal arts educations from the sorts of institutions that really promote the idea that it all comes down to, to race often or sexism or something like that. But really race. Race has been the, 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 the thing you're supposed to center in your analysis mm. of the news and the events and of politics. And that's really something that's taught and, and, and pushed on uh, people who who do the work of journalism from their from their educational background, and that's gotten much worse over time, much worse over time. And so it produces this culture where that's what people how people want to frame these things that just often don't neatly or whatsoever fit into that box. And you just miss stories that are much more important or much or much more uh, common and thus noteworthy. I'm not saying you know these things shouldn't be written about when they happen. It's just there's no sense of pro- of proportion. Again, we have so much crime in this country, but it's not it's not interesting. I guess the way uh, the way that the kinds of stories the media focus on is interesting, and that's a really really terrible shame. I do I would really like to talk about the like the violence in Chicago and places like that. It's unacceptable. It needs to be brought down but yeah it's it's uh, it's it doesn't it doesn't capture the the media's fascination the same way yeah you got to find the narrative apparently and stick to it robbie suave constantly going the other way and finding the narrative and telling you why it's wrong senior editor at reason and author of panic attack young radicals in the age of trump robbie thanks so much for coming on the program thank you all right back in a second Thank you for making it this long in the show. If you made it to the last break, you're cool. You're a cool kid. You're in the Cool Kids Club. We really appreciate it. Click like on the video. Make sure you go to my Instagram page. uh, Subscribe there. And in the link to bio thing, you'll get uh, all the links you need to watch and listen to the show. We really appreciate it. Also, with the border crisis going on, you know what the left's going to do? They're going to blame Donald Trump. There's one question you can ask them when they do so. Uh, Who built the cages?
We've got the T-shirts. We've got the mugs. It's going to piss off everybody around you. Who built the cages? Uh, Get them now at stewdoesmerch.com. Before we go, we haven't talked about this really at all, uh, but the Deshaun Watson, quarterback of the Houston Texans, one of the he's trying to get traded. It's this big deal. All these people are offering the sun, the sky, the moon to trade for the guy. And then there was an accuser and then another accuser and another accuser. And they're all masseuses who are claiming basically the same story that he was in a massage and then tried to turn it into a little bit more than that. Uh, and now there are now 14 different masseuses saying he acted inappropriate with with uh, with him which is pretty amazing. He's packed, I mean, really, he's packing on the accusers faster than Andrew Cuomo at this point, which is, it's not what you want. We'll see you tomorrow.